Welcome to the Fantasy NASCAR Podcast. I am Race for the Prize. Let's do some early Las Vegas picks. It's early, but it's never too early. This is an important part of the process to identify the drivers that we think will be fast at Las Vegas while other people are getting married to practice data. And practice data is important. I will have that lap by lap data available if you have purchased the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet at raceforthprize.com. You can get it this weekend. 12 bucks. We can work out a deal. Send me an email, race for the prize, 06 at gmail.com. DM me at race for the prize on Twitter. We can work out a deal. If not, maybe you want to hit me up for the month of March and get all of that lap data. But while others are completely falling in love with practice data, married to it, worshiping in it, worshiping at the altar of practice data, and if you want to, it's fine. I have a pretty good altar here in the spreadsheet, but I won't. I will use it. It is a part of the process. Unfortunately, some people will take that practice data and throw out all the other data. They won't look at previous Las Vegas trends, Las Vegas track history, current form, or they'll dial it down to a spot that it's not as relevant. While it should be relevant, hog points at this track, at other intermediate tracks, there is a ton of data and all of it should be consumed and understood, and that's why I'm here to help you out. I don't expect you to go back and watch these races again like I do. I'm here for you to help you better understand Las Vegas and help you make some of these picks. So take the information from here, put it in your brain, store it away, keep it there, and make sure on the weekend that you are referencing what we're talking about here and not just, you know, smooching all over your practice data, getting really frisky. I'm not saying have a threesome with practice data and current form, but I guess that is what I'm saying. Let's look at who has been good recently, and we'll just go. It's a simple process. Who's running well? Well, it's obviously Kyle Larson. So when the weekend comes, don't overreact to Kyle Larson. Let me say another thing, because I do have some podcast topics that I was supposed to pull up, but hopefully I can pull this up on another screen and it doesn't go haywire. It probably will go haywire, but whatever. It's fine. This podcast is never perfect. Let's see. Come on. Open up a new window. Hopefully it's good. Sure it is. Okay, so let me do a couple things before we talk about specific drivers. But you can see on the screen in front of you who has been running well. If you're listening to the audio version, just bear with us. Larson's an obvious guy with a win last year. Should have won this the first spring race. Although William Byron really controlled the race. At the end of the last run, it was Kyle Larson. But then a late race caution comes out and Byron steals a win that he absolutely deserved. Okay, let me just do a quick notes. Uh, you, you can't watch all the races. I understand that. It's nice to rewatch them, but then even NBA or NFL DFS, people are not watching the races. So I just want to put it out there. If I give people a hard time, um, I don't even know why I mentioned that. Okay, practice data. We're going to watch practice. If you're going to fall in love with practice, that's fine. If you want to fall in love, but make sure that you know some of these cars are not going to absolutely hammer the sheets. They're not going to absolutely light up the tower, the tall pole, the scoreboard. Let me just go ahead and pull up last year real quick from the fall. I did not do the lap by lap scraping last fall. I believe I have it for spring. But some of these guys are going to light up the tower. Some of these guys will be fast on speed charts. Some of these guys won't. Denny Hamlin's a driver that's notorious for not necessarily going out there and trying to show all of his cards. He's known for a driver that goes out there and doesn't necessarily try to run the fastest lap every time. He'll do shakedown laps. 
They'll run for a long run. They'll experiment. So be cognizant of that. Also, we're going to see some cars that may be more set up towards a long run than a short run. They're going to have a little bit more downforce in them. They're not going to be as trimmed out. Some cars will be more trimmed out and have less downforce. You're going to want to try to be able to discern that when you're making your decisions. If you're not sure, then you may want to dial down in your process how much you weigh practice. If you can't really tell the difference, sometimes it is undiscernible or indiscernible, and you can't really tell what's going on, then you may have to step back and look at other data points. So just be careful. On top of that, another thing with Las Vegas, you say you fall in love with practice speeds and you really like a driver and he doesn't do so well. And there was a driver that you really didn't like their practice speeds and they did better than you expected. I think case in point will be Brad Kozlowski, 19th on the short run, last fall at Las Vegas, 17th on the five lap average. He does have a very, very strong track history at Las Vegas. The RFK cars were coming alive at the end of last season and even before that. He didn't lay down very fast practice times. Some people who were married to practice may have abandoned him. Now, was Keselowski really hiding stuff? Well, what, the way it plays out in the race is he takes a two-tire stop early in the race towards the end of a stage. And he is able to maintain position. And into the end of the stage. And then he maintains position for the rest of the race on regular sets of tires. You're going to see two tire strategies and that is going to boost some drivers. It may even bury some drivers in the pack. I mean, even the drivers that decide not to go two tires who play conservatively, guys that are playing by the rules. Well, I mean, imagine you're in that situation. Five cars decide we're taking two tires. You were in fifth place. You did the right thing. You took four tires. Now, all of a sudden, you're starting 11, you're in dirty air, and then you get stuck in dirty air for the rest of the day. You had a fast car, but you weren't so great on restarts every time, or you're, it was hard to restart in dirty air, and you could just never climb out of it because that one time they went with two tires and you went with four tires. That can and usually does play out at Las Vegas. So there's going to be some winners, there's going to be some losers, and your practice date in the end is going to be irrelevant. It's going to be who made the right strategy call, who had the right had enough of a car. And you got to give credit to Brad Kozlowski. It wasn't a fluke. He got up there and he held his position for the rest of the race. If he didn't have the car to hang, he would not have hung. But he was able to run up front. And people probably looked at the practice and said, I don't think he's got it. So there's always going to be outliers. Some are going to show their hand in practice. Some cars are going to be blazing fast in practice and be blazing fast in the race. Some cars are going to be what they are. And then there's going to be guys that aren't necessarily out there trying to just absolutely flat out run fast laps. They may be checking the long run. They may be experimenting with setups. They may just be doing a shakedown because they're pretty comfortable in what they got. There's always going to be a handful of drivers that are not going to do what you exactly need them to do. They're not in practice to show off. Other guys only know how to run hard. Only guys only know how to test the limit. Only guy, other guys, regardless of whether they're testing the limit or running hard, their car can only just go so fast, and it gives a pretty good profile of what it's going to do in the race. So there's some quick notes to give you some information. We'll go over practice times here in a second as we're identifying more of our drivers. But let's get back to our early week picks by looking at current track history. Larson should have probably won both races last year. Second, 10th, 1st, 
I believe that 35 at Las Vegas was when he and Bubba Wallace got into their fracas. Is that right? Anyway, Christopher Bell had great long run speed. JGR as a stable had great long run speed. That's not necessarily their calling card, but they have seen Martin Tricks Jr. Denny Hamlin would be pretty good at long runs. Either way, they were pretty strong at the very end of that Las Vegas race. Christopher Bell needed about one more lap, and he would have won the race. Kyle Busch with a strong effort. There's that Brad Keselowski again. Yes, he used the two-tire strategy, and I expect someone else will replicate that strategy and get up there. Ross Chastain finished fifth. Two really strong performances in 2022. This is definitely interesting because if you remember the 2023 season, Ross Chastain wins at Nashville and then just goes on this massive cold streak. But here they finally refound that speed. And my idea there is that this is a track that rewards aggressive driving. It has progressive banking-ish. There is a fast groove on the wall. There is a groove at the bottom that they don't use as much anymore because of the bumps in this package, but it is there when you need it. They're mainly running the middle for most of the race, but there is at least two to three grooves you can take advantage of, and aggressive drivers can find a way to get around cars, and Ross Chastain fits that mold. Also, I'm going to write about this in my DK Network article this week. Uh, not only does this track suit aggressive driving, but the next-gen car suits aggressive driving. You can kiss the wall on this thing and not lose speed. With this body now, unlike the Gen 6 car, an intermediate track 170, you can kiss the wall and you are still in contention. Kyle Larson pulled an amazing save. An amazing save last fall at Las Vegas. The car still got into the wall. He did have a little bit of an issue getting to the end of the stage, but they got the car back up to speed and he won the race. That also suits a driver like Ross Chastain. Ryan Blady ultimately got DQ'd. He was fine. Um, not necessarily a guy that I'm in love with right now early in the week. I'm a Larson, a, a Bell, a Chastain. I shouldn't be as dismissive with Blaney, but I'm not quite there. William Byron, they absolutely had the setup in the first race. The second race, they were just off a little bit. That being said, they finished seventh, and he had a top-five driver rating. Um, even just being very, you know, it's playoffs, him being very harsh and critical of his car, wanting the speed that Larson has, wanting the speed that Bell has. He's competing for a championship. Otherwise, you know, maybe it's a spring race, a lower stakes race. That could be a different story. And although this is a spring race and a lower stakes race, they're going to be back here in the playoffs. So this is a very serious race to take notes, to build on. Reddick, they kind of struggled with setup all day, but they still managed to get a top 10. Be a concern moving forward. Um, he did manage 15 hog points here in 2022. I don't know how much I would worry about looking at 2022 results or hog points being that those are some of the very first, well, at least this one was the fall. That spring race, that's one of the very early race, second intermediate track race in the next gen car. That's where we had Fontana the week before, which was kind of a mess, but it didn't ultimately end up as messy. Practice was kind of wild. And then Las Vegas the next week. So I would be a little careful with that data. 2023, I'm much more comfortable leaning on. And you can go much deeper in the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet to 2021. You're getting into different packages, though, in 2021 and 2020 and 2019. So you got to be careful with going that deep. You know, like going back to 2016, we, 2015, we got a different package from 2016, from 2017 to 2018. They keep taking away downforce. 
Then in 2019 and 2020, you have the crap package. Then in 2021, we're back with some horsepower and low downforce. And then 2022, we take the horsepower out and low downforce. So you just got to be careful. Last year's data is probably good enough. Truex had really good long run speed, and you'll read about this in my DK Network article. You can almost always figure out why Truex may struggle in a race if he doesn't have as good as a result as you think. He always has long run speed. JGR, as I mentioned, had long run speed. But Truex, over the last several seasons, has really struggled on restarts. And if you read the article that I tweeted out, he mentions that. It's always the case. So he he concedes positions on a restart, loses three spots, and takes the whole run to get those spots back. He just is not great on restarts. We saw this happen to Jeff Gordon at the end of his career. It's really tough to roster him as a hog. But once he falls back in the pack, he could probably restart with the best of them in the front for two or three rows. But once he gets back in the pack, he really struggles. He's not comfortable back there. He's not comfortable in the dirty air on restarts. And it almost pretty much blows his races. So it's very hard to roster Truex as a hog. Hamlin, on the other hand, kind of some of the similar situations. Just battling traffic. Ultimately has a decent day. Um, I'm more apt to roster Hamlin in terms of intermediate tracks. And hopefully we have time to go over that. One of the highest Dietrich data score rankings. We'll go over that later. Uh, Chris Busher. Um, had a pretty good car, had to work his way out of trouble multiple times. Could have probably finished a lot higher. Probably could have finished close to the top five had he not had to work through issue after issue. Got buried in traffic, had to deal with stuff back there. The RFKs were ultimately pretty fast. Uh, going through here, uh, Suarez ends up being one of the bigger plays last fall. He started dead last because he got into a wreck in practice. Another thing worth mentioning would be Chase Elliott was kind of chalky, fast in practice, gets in an issue in the race, has to start in the back, then wrecks in the race. All these guys have issues in the race. Eric Jones has an issue in the race. And then these other guys pretty much just run where you would have expected them to run based on the practice data. So, again, just to wrap up this by looking at track history, I like Larson Bell. You kind of like Bush racing in his home track. The RFKs are fine by me, much more higher on Ross Chastain. Um, I don't know why I am dismissing Blaney at the moment. I would want to dig a little bit deeper, but, I mean, Blaney head-to-head with Larson or Bell. I'm going Larson and Bell. Blaney head-to-head with Chastain. I'm going Chastain. Um, Neither of these drivers actually put down very many fast laps. I would definitely take Byron. Uh, Like I said, Truex and Hamlin definitely had to speed. Hamlin uh, did a two-tire strategy that helped him out for a little while in that race. All right, let's... Fast forward over some practice data from last year and show you that there is a little bit of correlation. We'll start with the obvious. Um, well, we'll just start with the top of the board. So we've got the drivers ranked based on their finishing position. You can see their practice data over here. We can also see a calculation where I look at, all right, what's the difference between your five-lap average and your finishing position? And so Larson's five-lap average and finishing position was a difference of two meaning that he won the race, and on the five-lap average, he was the third fastest. So there's a little bit of a correlation there. And if we were to look at his 10-lap average, he was the fastest on the 10-lap average, so we ranked number one, he won the race, so that's perfect. What we're trying to identify here is, can we look at practice speeds 
and then basically superimposed them on the race, saying, oh, I'm fastest in practice, I'll be fastest in the race. Well, it's not going to be that perfect, but sometimes you could say, all right, if you were running in the top five in practice, then you should run in the top five in the race. If you ran in the top 10 in 10 lap averages, then you should be somewhere around the top 10. It's not going to be exact, it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to allow us to narrow it down and try to project and figure out where these guys are. And you can see that data here. If it's green, that means their practice was pretty close. If it's yellow, their practice was semi-close. And if it's white, then it was pretty much way off. Like Denny Hamlin, his was 18 spots off on the five-lap run in terms of finish. In terms of average running position, which might be a better number for you, 21. So if we look at the guys inside the top 10, we had about four of them in terms of average running position where it was pretty close. So not the most perfect measure. And, you know, that's going to happen. But for the most part, when we look over here and just use kind of our own eyes as a test. Let's see. You know, Larson, not the fastest on a single lap run. But... Five, 10 lap average, not surprised to see him win. Bell, maybe this was a little bit surprised, but he was running pretty well at the end of the season. Again, we don't want to be too much in the case of butts and ifs and asterisks. And, you know, this isn't the greatest, but he didn't look terrible. Did I expect him to be this fast compared to other drivers? Well, if you were married to practice data, then you probably weren't that crazy about Christopher Bell. That's why I mentioned that we need to look at current form and we need to look at track history. Kyle Busch, again, pretty decent on the long run here. But his average running position was eighth. He finished a lot better than where he probably should have run. Um, his, what, so eighth. Overall, if we look at his driver rating, he was the seventh best driver. Still, it's a little bit of a stretch. Maybe this long run speed here, you could argue that, okay, he's a seventh place driver. Kozlowski doesn't fit the mold. Not taking practices seriously. Ross Chastain not doing a lot of practice laps, but was very fast on the five-lap run. Ryan Blaney, you would argue a fifth to tenth place car. I think based on that practice data, he had a fifth to tenth place car. William Byron, top five in short run, five in five long, two in top ten. So you would have been disappointed given his track history and where he was in current form based on that. Um, and I, but I wouldn't fault you for picking him and being married to the statistics with him. Tyler Reddick looked like he was a lot faster in practice, and that might have been a case for Reddick a couple times last year where he was much faster in practice than he actually did during races. Overall, though, like I mean, if you're just looking at green over here compared to green over here, kind of close. It's not a perfect number in trying to get you to predict who's going to win and who's going to be the hog or slash dominator, the guy that's going to get all the fast laps and laps lead points. Practice data is not always the best indicator of that. You want to put in qualifying, you want to put in race strategy, etc., current form, track history. But it does give us a pretty good idea of average running position and finishing position. Looking over here at these numbers, aside from Hamlin, which we've already explained that situation, you would generally look at these practice data points and say, yeah, it's around top 10 cars, and this is the top 10. Let's look down to 11 through 20. We can see that the speeds have fallen off. 
And again, we're going to be able to say, all right, you know, these are pretty correlative. You know, it's not perfect, but it does give us a general idea of this top 10 is green. Their speed, they're going to be in the top 10. These guys are clearly slower. They have no business getting into the top 10. Amarola finishes the race in 14th, 15th on 10 lap, 19th on the 5 lap. Not really much of a stretch. Suarez finishes in 16th, or he finishes in 15th. His times are a little bit slower, but that is because he had issues in practice. He starts the race dead last. So for him to get all the way through traffic and to get close to 15, not really a surprise. Harvick struggles in practice. Uh, his 16th place finish, probably better than what this suggests, but at least the practice data said, yeah, probably not playing Kevin Harvick this week. Michael McDowell looks about like a 15th car in practice. He finishes 17th. Austin Dillon looks like a car maybe that could get into the top 20. He finishes 18th. Corey LaJoy looks like a 25th place race car at best, but he finishes 19th. Uh, yep, so a little surprising, but again, like these guys that don't really show a lot of speed in practice didn't really do much in the race. And some of these also, a couple of these numbers are great. Well, that Corey LaJoy is way too inflated. That's a problem for well, another problem here is let I think we could argue. I know he was Corey Joyce 29th, P1, 30th in your practice one, five lap average. And I know I'm pushing it to say 25th, but then you're going to turn around and say, but he still he finished 19th. That's 10 spots. Come on, man. You're really stretching it. I'm not really because it's probably he can get, I mean, he's good enough to get four spots. Can we argue that he's good enough to get the 25th? Okay, the other five spots. Well, that's easy to explain. It's a matter of Eric Jones wreck. It's a matter of Chase Elliott wreck. Chase Briscoe had an issue. Ty Gibbs had an issue. Alex Bowman had an issue. You can even throw Carson Hosever, who was a top 20-ish car at the end of the year. So there's those spots. He got them through attrition. He got them through survival. Same thing for with all these other guys. Their finish is going to be slightly higher than maybe what their practice day suggests. Not necessarily, mainly because they just didn't wreck. And I got some attrition points. So that's it for practice. Let's look at some intermediate track data. Again, we're just trying to identify some speed for later in the week. So this is Dietrich data where I look at top 5, top 10, top 15, top 20, top 25, top 30, top 35 laps. Laps led, finishing position, average position. And I run some numbers and try to rate a driver for a skill a, uh, on a score of 0 to 100. Last year, if we look at the intermediate-ish tracks that I care about at the moment, Denny Hamlin was the best, tied with William Byron with 0 88. 88%. We can look and see that Hamlin kind of struggled down the stretch. Maybe I take Phoenix out, but I'm going to leave Phoenix in the numbers. Byron pretty strong at the end of last year. All of them are going to have a couple numbers that drag them down a little bit, but for the most part... That's just going to be the case. Kyle Larson, a very strong close of the season. Darlington, Kansas, Texas, Las Vegas, Homestead, Phoenix, all above a 90%. If we're spending up, we want laps led. We want fast laps. Those numbers are indicative of a driver who's running inside the top five, who is leading laps, who is scoring a lot of fantasy points. Even last year at Las Vegas in the spring, 8.97. Ross Chastain starts the season out strong, goes through that drought, but then 
comes to life a little bit here towards the end. Obviously, winning the Homestead race, I would be bullish on him. Not as crazy about Blaney, but Blaney is fifth on your board at 0.76. Truex, 0.75. We know what he's capable of. He has a great car. He has good long run speed. But sometimes you get into these races where he gets buried in traffic and he comes up with just a 0.82 at Las Vegas in the second race, a 0.86 in the first race. These are very good numbers. That's near top five numbers. But we need laps led. We need fast laps. Brad Kozlowski, look at the speed they had at the end of the season. Pretty strong. Don't sleep on Brad Kozlowski. I know it's been 100 races since he won last, but he has been very strong at Las Vegas. He understands this track. He knows how to get around it and make moves and make the right decisions. A .95 at Las Vegas last year. Wallace is somebody, I'm, I don't know, still a little mercurial, but if you can get him at a discount, we'll see. We'll see what he does in practice. It's not completely off the board. Same thing with his teammate Tyler Reddick. Um, I would like to see a little bit more consistency out of Christopher Bell last year. He's just at a 0.68. I do consider him much more of a short track driver, but as you witnessed last year at Las Vegas with a 0.97 score at Las Vegas, uh, he can win some intermediate tracks. He won some intermediate tracks in the Xfinity Series. He's going to be competing pretty well again this season. Um, I like Larson more, but Bell's going to be there. Remains a scene with Bush. I think it'll be fine. We'll just have to wait and see on that. Uh, wait and see on Chase Elliott. Probably should be just as aggressive with Chris Buescher as we are with Brad Keselowski. Agano is where we really start to see a lot of fall off. That's a pretty strong top 14 right there, by the way. Well, top 13 if we throw out Kevin Harvick. But we all know Logano struggled last year, and that's where um, I start to say, all right, these are the guys that, you know, they're top 10 drivers, but they're not necessarily the law the lap leaders consistently like we need but if you get them at a discount you can now that being said joey logano and penske being sponsor connected to the penske las vegas race there's always those shenanigans but even that we have seen logano run really well at this track in the past in 2022 so while he did have that bad season and he does kind of serve as a good marker here between the elite, and the rest. Logano can easily come right back into it this season and become elite. Definitely needs to get him some points this week. Ty Gibbs, another perfect example. He is not a part of the elite, but he is capable of getting there in that car. This could be a big breakthrough season, big step forward. I don't imagine him winning a bunch of races, but he could easily win two races this season. Don't count him out. Don't rule him out. Again. He's right there on the other side of the wall, like Logano, but he could easily jump it. Alex Bowman, other side of the wall, he could easily jump it. You look back at Las Vegas last year, a .94 in the spring. Uh, was last year that uh, it was a 1-2-3 finish in terms of the DFS scoreboard for Hendrick Motorsports. Eric Jones, I think, is a little bit further back from the wall. I think Suarez technically would be a little bit closer, but shouldn't sleep on what Jones did in the last season. And maybe we should give him some credit with a 0.77 at Darlington, although Darlington's kind of his jam. 0.83 at Kansas, 0.83 at Texas. And you have to remember, this was a lame duck team. They were switching over to Toyota at the end of the season. So for them to have speed that late in the season at Legacy Motor Club, 
It's very interesting because they probably didn't have the best equipment at that moment. I would argue that they did not have strong competitive equipment and that he was just driving out of his mind. And so if the Toyotas are okay heading into the season, and that's a big if, and I should have touched on that earlier in the podcast. We haven't had to worry too much about the new Toyota. We haven't had to worry much about the new Ford body design at Daytona, at Atlanta. That could very well be an issue at Las Vegas. We're going to have to be cognizant. I'm sure the media will make us aware, but that is something that we're going to have to circle around and think about. Now, I was mentioning that because I would say that Eric Jones' Toyota, it's early for the team, so they could struggle in their new Toyota, or they could just simply be a lot faster and have better equipment than they did the last of the season. Practice will give you a little bit of an idea of that. Suarez, again, a couple steps back from the wall. Ricky Stenhouse, handful steps back from the wall that separates the elite. He may not even be in the next group down, but maybe he gets a running start every once in a while and jumps over some people. AJ's not going to be there. And I would say Daniel Hemrick is a downgrade in that car. Eric Almarola is not going to be here with us. But Gregson will be in that car. And it was around the 15th place car. Can Gregson get more out of Almirola's 15th place car? That remains to be seen. And it could be a serious problem if the Fords do struggle with the new body type at the intermediate tracks. So there's a bit of a concern there too. Michael McDowell in front row has shown some really solid trimmed out speed so far. And they could do that again this week. But if they continue to trim out at Las Vegas, then that's going to spell doom and disaster. I would be worried about that at just a .31 last year at Las Vegas. Okay, I don't think I need to go any more into that. Last things, anything else that I want to talk about in terms of Las Vegas. We'll look at the optimals real quick. Look at some optimal lineups really quick. Again, raceforthepride.com if you want to get access to this fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet. Maybe you just want to make donations and say I appreciate the videos. Maybe you just want to hit that like button right now. Hit it, hit it, hit it, hit that like button. Subscribe, share. PayPal.me slash Pierce Dietrich, Venmo.com slash race for the prize, cash.app slash money sign, Pierce Dietrich. You can donate at any time. You can send that money over at any time, and I'll give you access to the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet. Maybe you want to get it for Weekend Las Vegas. Maybe you want to get it for the month of March. Stay in the loop. Leave comments, whatever. Let's look at some optimal lineups as we wrap up. Last year, this is a quick and easy way to see it, but I don't necessarily like this one as the best way at looking at fantasy points. You can see top 10 scores. Um, so 10 place scored 36 fantasy points last fall, and the highest was 109. You can see the place differential. You can see their hog points. You can see their actually finishing position to get an idea of you know, 65% of the points scored in the final tally of 300 and, or 584. So 378 points were finishing position points. The total is 584. So the majority of points scored in the top 10 were finishing position points. Just barely 10% were place differential. Not a lot of place differential finishing inside the top 10. Hog points were almost a quarter of the points in the top 10. 
So you have that to kind of give you an idea. And this 47 is your average score of fourth to 10th. So if we're looking for those value drivers, if we're looking at those drivers that are going to try to round out our lineups, and we're trying to project how many points we need, 47 on average was fourth to 10th. So basically non-hog drivers. What is the score of the guys that weren't the hogs that scored a bunch of hog or dominator fast slap lap slap points? And it was around 47. So they had pretty good finishing position score with a couple place differential. Now that's just last fall. You see it changes around. But again, you can see the general trend of finishing position points is 64. So obviously we're going to need guys that are going to finish up near the front in terms of top 10. Now this is top 10. This is not the optimal lineup. Place differential has been a fraction of the scoring buckets. It's there. It's definitely noticeable. You can't completely neglect, neglect it, but it's there. Hog points, definitely something you need to target. Was much more valuable there. Now, let's look at the optimal lineups and see how those scored out. And then we'll look at a little bit more. So last year you had Kyle Larson, obviously with 63 hog points. You had Brad Kozlowski, 18 hogs, 17 place differential. Uh, Christopher Bell, 33 hog. Kozlowski's a little cheap, but not much. Then you got Ross Chastain, get you a little place differential, get you some hog points, get you a finishing position, ends up with 51. Pretty affordable considering, or pretty affordable, and that was because Trackhouse was not really running the best at the end of the season. You had Daniel Suarez starting dead last. He gets you 21 place differential points. And then Ty Dillon is just there for salary relief. There were better value plays, but you simply could not afford them. 5,100 Ty Dillon, he doesn't do anything. There were better values. I don't even know if Ty Dillon had a top 20 value day in this race. We can check that in a second. But you just had to play him to afford these big boys in the optimal. Hog points were a big part of this optimal lineup. Hog points were a big part of the spring optimal lineup. With William Byron taking 71 home, Kyle Larson taking 34 home, both finishing at the top of the board. Alex Bowman, top of the board, scrapes off some fast laps, also gets him some place differential. Then we got Justin Haley. If you remember listening to the podcast last year, I was huge on Justin Haley at Las Vegas because Haley talked about Fontana and how it got crazy on restarts and the damage they suffered and how excited he and AJ were about their cars. And if they wouldn't have gotten wrecked at Fontana, they could have really showed off their speed. And wouldn't you know it, the next week at Las Vegas, they showed off their speed. Haley had a big day. Mo Wallace just has an okay day, but he still gets to 53 fantasy points. Nine place differential points. Fishers up near the front. Austin Sindrick, a little undervalued. Solid finish, couple place differential points. Ends up in the optimal lineup. Total of 411 scored. Hulk points, again, are almost a third of the score. And place differential takes a back seat. If you want to look at 2022, it's a little bit of a worry. The numbers are different. It was that first year in the package. So I don't know how much you want to look at that. Um, I'll look one level deeper here at the optimal lineups and just show the starting positions. Larson started second. Bell started first. Kozlowski, 21. Chastain, 10. Suarez starting the very back. Tight Hill in 27th to 24th. Like I said over here, Harrison Burton was a, a really good value play but he was just too expensive. Corey LaJoy was a pretty good value play, just too expensive. Almirola, McDowell, Austin Dillon, all better value plays, 
You just couldn't get to them and get Larson Kozlowski, Bell, Chastain. Interesting. All right, if we look at the other one from the spring, we had Bill and Byron, again, starting up front, scoring a bunch of hog points. Kyle Larson starting on the third row, sixth place, getting a bunch of hog points. Alex Bowman just missing the final round of qualifying, but in the end, he's able to get to third place in the race, scrape off some fast lap. Hendrick kind of had a thing there. Haley, 27th to 8th. Bubba Wallace, 13th to 4th. And then Austin Hendrick, 9th to 6th. That'll do it for the Fantasy NASCAR Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Racefortheprize.com. That's where you can get all the information you need. Like, subscribe, share. I'm blessed to have you guys around. Love you guys. Trip the lights, fantastic.